Thanks for joining us for yet another conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. In January, I had a great conversation with Natalie Liu on the topic of saying no. It actually is the most downloaded podcast we've had so far this year. And we're going to revisit the topic today with another angle, the angle of the research and science behind how to say no effectively. And when you think about it, it's an important skill to cultivate in life. And I think it has particular value in retirement because there's so much time and freedom that you've earned, yet it can be taken up by other people's priorities and things are less important to you if you're not careful and prepared to say no to things that are lesser important. You want to protect your time and your freedom that you've earned in your retirement life. Vanessa Patrick is the author of the new book, The Power of No, the new science of how to say no that puts you in charge of your life. Dr. Patrick is a professor of marketing and the associate dean for research at the Bauer College of Business at the University of Houston. She has a PhD in business from the University of Southern California and an MBA in marketing and a BS degree in microbiology and biochemistry from Bombay University in India. She has published dozens of research articles in top-tier academic journals in psychology, marketing, and management, and popular accounts of her work and appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NPR, the LA Times, Business Week, Fast Company, Forbes, Huffington Post, and the Washington Post. In her research, she investigates strategies to achieve personal mastery and inspire everyday excellence in oneself and others, and is a pioneer in the study of everyday consumer aesthetics. She lives with her family in Houston, Texas, where she joins us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So this is such, I think, a valuable topic for people, how to learn how to say no and how to make the right choices and and do it in the right way. And what I've noticed is retirement offers a new degree of freedom. But sometimes people say yes too quickly and discover that they're suddenly busier than they had expected and with many things that they really don't love to do. Why do we say yes when we really want to say no? So in my research, I identified three main reasons as to why we say yes when we want to say no. One is our concern for the relationships we have with others. So when when people ask us to do something, they're usually our friends, our family, people who are colleagues and acquaintances. And we want to have a good relationship with those people and we want to maintain that good relationship. And so that's one of the key reasons why we say yes when we want to say no. The second reason is about uh, ties into our reputation. We want to be seen positively in the eyes of people. We want to be seen as capable, as confident, as able to handle the things that are thrown our way. And the third thing is we have never really learned how to say no effectively. Throughout our lives, we've kind of try to accommodate people's requests and be cooperative and helpful and givers more than takers. And society in many ways kind of shapes that sort of behavior and rewards that sort of behavior. And so we have never really learned to look inwards and think about how do I say no to the things that are not aligned with what I want to do or what I want to achieve. And you highlight in the book that saying no is a super skill that people can develop. What are the key benefits? So saying no effectively to the things that do not matter, to the things that do not align with your purpose, 
to the things that you really don't care about and frankly make you grumpy is super important to learn. Because at the end of the day, when we spend our time doing things that we really don't care about, we become resentful and we really dislike how we are spending our time. It doesn't meet our own expectations and it doesn't give us meaning. And I think all of us at some stage, especially perhaps, you know, once we've lived a full professional life, we want to live a life of meaning and we want to feel like we have, that we are living fully a good and meaningful life. And that fulfillment cannot come from squandering your time doing things that you really don't want to do. Well said, and we want to avoid grumpy. I was in New York City <laughs> a little while ago and asked Siri, where can I get a cup of tea that's closest to me? And she recommended Cafe Grumpy, which my wife got a kick out of. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I think that recognizing what makes us grumpy and staying clear of those grumpy incidents or people that make us grumpy is so important for our own well-being and mental health. Absolutely. I find your approach of empowered refusal quite interesting. How, how do you explain it? So empowered refusal is a way of saying no that stems from your identity. So it's based on my research where I looked at how does a no come across most effectively? How are you be able to say no without getting pushback from other people, without getting into a negotiation? A persuasive no. And what I found in my research is when you say no and you anchor it in your identity and your no reflects who you are and what your values, priorities, preferences, and beliefs are, then you come across as much more effective in the way you say no. So you have that authenticity that really yes. helps in, in the, the connection with your identity. So the words we choose matter, sometimes perhaps more than we may appreciate. And why does saying I don't work better than saying I can't? Right. So in my research, I actually focus on what are the words that we can use to communicate our refusal that implicate the identity. And the way you implicate your identity is you and ground your refusal in your identity is by choosing your words carefully. When you say, I can't, you come across as disempowered, not in control, and suggest to the asker that, well, under some other situation, I would be able to say yes, but right now I can't. And that very often invites pushback, negotiation, discussion. Whereas when you say, I don't, you implicate yourself. You say, this is my way of operating. This is who I am. This is how I do things. So I don't is a much more empowered way to communicate your refusal. Very, very helpful. And I can see how I can't invites that negotiation. It's almost a reaction you have where well, I'm sure you can if you do A, B, D, C, D, Exactly. <laughs> the other topic is how can people develop personal policies and how are those very helpful? Right. So a personal policy is essentially a simple rule that we set up for ourselves that give voice to our values and priorities that shape our actions and decisions. So these are just rules that we set up. They are operating principles that allow us to live life 
the way we want to live life. And I very often, when I'm teaching this, use the example of travel. Now, we all travel and it's summer, so it makes sense to be talking about travel because it's very close to our hearts. You know, when we travel, we have preferences and we like certain things. So some people are aisle seats and some people are window seats. Some people just can't stand a overnight jet uh, red eye flight, whereas other people are okay with it. Some people will say, I will not travel to Europe unless it is at least a week, whereas other people don't have that preference in place. So one and and more importantly is we have such good preferences and we know our preferences about travel. And so we are able to design our travel around those preferences. And as soon as I say that to people, then you can realize that if you can do it with travel, you can do it with any domain. You can do it with how you deal with friends, how you deal with family, how you deal with going to the gym, how you deal with entertainment, how you spend your time on social media, absolutely everything. What are your preferences, priorities, beliefs, and values in that domain? And how would you like them to be seen? And how do you want to operate in accordance with those? And so in the book, I developed a framework called the Dream Framework, which walks people through the steps to help them establish a personal policy. And at the end of the day, these personal policies are your policies. They are the guideposts that you set up for yourself. And because you set them up for yourself, they align with who you are and they work for you. So you're really pre-designing, you're pre-setting your expectations, aligning them with what's most important to you, what your preferences are. So that it's a little bit more of an automatic response you don't have to make up on the fly. Yeah, exactly. So when people leave the world of full-time work into retirement, even if it's an active retirement, they often are searching for a new sense of purpose, which perhaps Uh work provided. How does knowing your why become so important and how does that help with these personal policies? Right. And I talk about the importance of developing deepened self-awareness. I think that when you're going through any transition, like moving from full-time work to retirement, it's really important to invest some time in thinking about yourself. What do you care about? What would make life fulfilling to you? What does a good day look like? You know, when you go to bed at night and you say, this is a great day, what would that day look like? And how can you make sure that you're designing your days to be able to look like that? And taking an active role in how you spend your time. You know, it's a myth that we have tons of time when you're, when you're retired. Because the reality is that time fills up so fast. And very often with things that you really don't want to do, but just accidentally fall into and then don't know how to get out of. I mean, I know so many people through the different research that I've done who feel trapped. They've they've made these commitments. They've said they're going to do all these things. They really did not want to do them. But now they are strapped for time, even though they are technically, their time is their own. And it's something that if you have the chance to kind of start backing out of some of those commitments that are not giving you joy and focusing on the things that are giving you joy and do give you joy, you just have a much more fulfilling retirement. I mean, investing in the things that you care about, like lifelong learning, investing in what you want to learn, the, a passion project, a new hobby, 
doing creative work, I have a motto of producing more than I consume. And so I'm constantly navigating like this balance between production and consumption because it's so easy to just watch videos and listen to music. and, And those are fun. Of course, they are fun and they are also easy. Like what are the ways in which you can contribute? How can you add value to the world? And that's production, right? And it's an interesting thing to navigate this balance between production and consumption. And it seems like it's a lot easier to say no up front than to say no later and try to back out something you've committed to do. It is. And you should try and say no to the things that you don't want to do up front. But the reality is that we definitely have the chance to back out of things that we don't want to do. In fact, there's research that shows that you can go back and say, you know, I've reconsidered my priorities. I've rethought about this. This is not working for me. I won't be able to do it. It actually works. So there is a prevailing myth that I've committed to this since I have to do it. But the reality is, is that if it's really something that's going to make you grumpy, for example, or really resentful to the asker, then it's probably better off saying, you know, this is not working. I would uh, much prefer not to do this. So is it, and you can back out. And most people are pretty gracious about that. Just a short break in the conversation to alert you to something you may be interested in in the show notes on this episode. If you're listening to this podcast, odds are high that you want something different out of your next phase than your former boss, your neighbors, and especially that annoying former colleague. You want to be more intentional about your next phase of life and make sure it's what you want to be doing. In addition to the one-on-one coaching I do, four times a year, I offer a group program. It's a small group that gets together every other week for 10 weeks. And the next one kicks off on September 21st. Take a look at the link in the show notes. You'll find all the details. And just want to alert you to that there's a very early bird discount that's available until August 15th. I hope you'll consider joining us in designing your future. Every once in a while, you can run into people who just won't take no for an answer. Mm -hmm. What's your advice for people who encounter that situation? Yes. So I have a whole chapter on my book on walnut trees. And walnut trees are the people who are those pushy askers who won't take no for an answer. And it might help the listener to kind of understand what a walnut tree is. So I'll just describe that briefly. So walnut tree is the metaphor that I use to describe people who are very pushy and want their way and prefer to have their way over your way. So walnut trees, are the specifically the Black American walnut tree, it's this really beautiful tree and it dominates the landscape. It's got this luxuriant canopy and it's got a root system that goes out 50 feet into the soil. And what it does is that it exudes into the soil a toxin called juglone. And that toxin, while it allows the walnut tree to thrive, it stunts the growth of everything around it, right? And so in my classes, when I talk about difficult people and toxic people and jerks that we might encounter in our daily life, unfortunately, it helps to use this metaphor of a walnut tree because walnut tree behavior can be recognized 
and handled. And in the book, I talk a great deal about how to spot a walnut tree and how to resist their pushback. Thank you for that. And on the topic of how to say no, tell us about your ART, art framework, and the three competencies. So I introduce the art of empowered refusal. And the art stands for these three competencies that we need to develop to become better at saying no more effectively. And so the art stands for awareness, rules, not decisions, and totality of self. So we've touched upon awareness and the importance of taking the time to become aware of your purpose, who you are, your, what your values are, what your preferences are, what your priorities are, what you believe in this domain. How do you see your purpose? What is it that you want to give back? What is your legacy? These are the things that you need to kind of be, have some awareness about. Once you have developed that deepened sense of awareness, you are now in a situation where you can set up these personal policies, these rules that give voice to that awareness, give voice to the values, reflect the way you want to live. And these personal policies are really simple systems that we can set up that just allow us or enable us to take the path that we want to take. And once we have done that inside work and set the system in place, now we have to start communicating empowered refusal to the other person using both language. And we've talked about empowered language, using words like I don't, I never, I always. My policy is to, when we say things like that, we implicate the identity, but the words are not enough. The totality of self is really about combining the words or the verbal component of the refusal with the nonverbal component of the refusal. So for example, remembering that when we say no, it is not a rejection of the other person. It is simply a way in which we are giving voice to what we care about. So we are prioritizing ourselves rather than prioritizing what the asker is asking us to do. This is not a rejection of the asker. And the way we communicate our refusal using nonverbals is that we can use nonverbal cues to make that very clear that the relationship between you and me is secure. I care about you. I see you as a friend. I'm still going to say no to this particular request, however. And learning those nonverbal cues and learning to use nonverbals to maintain that relationship, but also to communicate your empowerment. You know, Joe, one of the worst things that we can do is say yes with our words and our body language shows that resentment and resistance. And so often people say yes, but they, you know, what they're really thinking is, I wish you hadn't asked me. I hate you for asking me. <laughs> and that you may as well have just not said yes, because the nonverbals have already communicated the negativity. And so, you know, when we are saying yes, it should be a resounding yes. It should be something that we really want to do and something that is going to give us joy. And it comes across in both the verbal and the nonverbal. And when we want to say no, we have to say no. And we have to also communicate that the other person is not being rejected, that we can use leaning forward, smiling, 
eye contact, a touch on the shoulder. These are things that say, I care about you. I care about our relationship, but I'm still saying no about this thing. Makes a lot of sense, making sure that both are in sync. Absolutely. They need to be in concert with each other. So sometimes when people move into retirement, we forget that some of the things that we use in the working world can be useful in retirement life and personal life. And one of those things that's a handy two-by-two matrix, how can doing a quick cost-benefit analysis help us make the right decision between yes and no? Yes. So I uh, present a framework, which is a two-by-two framework, that helps us decipher the ask that comes our way, helps us determine what are the good-for-me activities and separate them from the not-so-good-for-me activities. And what I like about this framework, it's not entirely focused on you. It's focused on you and the good that you can do for others. So the framework really looks at the cost to you. How high is the cost to you? And cost can be in terms of effort. It can be in terms of time. It can be in terms of energy. It can be in terms of psychological well-being. It can be in terms of happiness. So how costly is this, is this ask for you? And weighing that against the benefit of doing it for the other person. How much can I benefit others by doing this? And actually, that is something that we need to think about a lot, weighing those two. And so, for example, something that I call the pass the salt ask. A pass the salt ask is a low cost to me ask and high benefit to the other person. So let's imagine that I'm sitting at a dining table and the salt shaker is sitting in front of me and someone says, hey, Vanessa, pass the salt, please. And all I have to do is just pass the salt. It's pretty straightforward and easy, not a big deal for me, but presumably makes a huge difference to that other person's meal. And so when we recognize pass the salt as that we can just help out and make a difference, a positive difference in the world for someone else, then perhaps we that is an ask that we should say yes to. Because, and, and in my area of work, which is being a professor, a kind of pass the salt ask is recommendation letters, right? I have a system in place. I know how to write a recommendation letter. I know how long it takes. Every I, I got it down. It's a task that I know how to do. But it can make a huge difference to my students. You know, they can get the job of their dreams. They might get into a college of their dreams. And they will remember and be grateful to you forever for helping them. And that is making a positive difference. That is using your position in a way that's meaningful. And so, yeah, I say yes to pass the salt ask like recommendation letter because it makes sense. Now, the asks that are probably the ones that are most likely to make us grumpy and resentful and feel trapped are what I call bake your famous lasagna asks. Because they are careless asks. They are asks where people just say, hey, you know, I really need something. or I really want something. You're free. You can do it. And just because you're free doesn't mean that you should spend all your effort doing something that you really don't want to do, right? So the story I tell in the book is about, let's imagine that there's a friend who's having a potluck party and she carelessly invites you to bake your famous lasagna because you're a really great lasagna baker. And of course, it's a tedious task. 
you might be better off just getting a party tray from the local store and or a bunch of cupcakes and get that task over with and contribute to the potluck like everybody else is. And so making that decision about how you want to spend your time and is that time spent well, is it going to benefit? Is it going to make a positive difference in the world? So I argue that, you know, making your lasagna and putting it on the table with everybody else's party trays and cupcakes is possibly not the best way you can spend your time, right? And so if you can outsource something or if you can uh, delegate it to someone else, or if you can sometimes, you know, throw money at the problem, if instead of doing something yourself, if it's something that you hate, maybe you can just outsource it, pay someone else to do it. And these are the things that we can get out of things that, and the reason I feel very strongly about saying no to bake your famous lasagna asks is because what we want to do is we want to say yes to the hero's journey asks. And the hero's journey asks are the ones which might be high effort for us, but they leverage our unique capability. They make a positive difference in the world. So imagine you You've had a rich career and you are now moving from a full-time job to retirement. Spending some time writing a memoir that your family will be able to benefit from. Maybe your work colleagues would love to have all the insights you have gleaned over your career. It's not easy by any means to sit and write a whole book. But it might make a positive difference in the world and you leave a legacy that's worth talking about and worth thinking about. And so those are the kind of hero's journey as those are the kind of things that if we choose to do, they make a difference. And we can only do them if we say no to all the things that distract us from these important things. I am curious about the lasagna now. <laughs> so. What are some of the ways that you're applying your research in your own day-to-day -day life? Oh, all the time, Joe, all the time. I mean, everything from making a personal policy about when I have meetings. So I'm a creative person and I like to write, but I'm also a morning person. My brain works very differently in the morning. And so I reserve my mornings for creative work, for writing, for research, for thinking. Because if I don't do that, then I'm pretty much not producing anything for the day because uh, post-lunch, my brain doesn't work the same way. And so then that's when I schedule meetings. So pre pretty much anyone who works with me knows that my preference is for afternoon meetings. And I've made that a personal policy that people know about. Simple things like, you know, I don't touch the phone when I'm in the car. I small things like uh, like that. And it's a policy that even my little daughter who's sitting at the back knows. And so if I actually do pick up the phone just out of habit, she'll say, mom, you're touching the phone. And so it's these things that you just like, these are the values that you have of family and safety and how you want to work, where you like to work. And you set up your life so that you you design your life. I think that that's the beauty of not having a boss, right? <laughs> I think that's a great part about retirement is about not having a boss. And when you don't have a boss, then you are your own boss. And then you get to set the rules. You get to spend time the way you want to. I, as a professor, have that 
a, some degree of flexibility with my time. And I treasure it and I utilize it to make sure that I'm focusing on the hero's journey asks. Well, I am grateful that you said yes to this podcast invitation. And thank you so much for making us all a lot smarter about how to say no. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. That was, those were a great set of questions. I appreciated them. Time for takeaways. Three ideas of actions you can take following this conversation today with Vanessa Patrick so that you can tap into the power of no. Number one, know your why. So obviously being clear in your priorities, being clear on your purpose, being clear in the things that are most important to you are going to set you up better to be able to say no in the moment. And while you don't have to have your purpose, in my opinion, all figured out before you head into retirement, spend some time in reflection and get clear on what you're really most focused on, what other things you really want to do so that you'll be able to say no and free up some time and ability to say yes to the things that really do matter most to you. You'll be glad you did. Number two, what are your personal policies? I particularly love this idea, especially paired with her attention to language with the recommendation of using I don't rather than I can't. So what are some personal policies you can set over the next few days and weeks to test out to see if they, how they can strengthen your ability to say no so you can say yes to what matters more? This idea is one that I really took away from Stephen Covey's work. You really need to be able to say no to free up the ability to say yes to what matters most. Number three, make sure your nonverbals are in sync. Have you ever noticed when some people are saying no, their heart's really not in it? Or have you ever noticed in TV interviews or occasionally in a meeting, you'll see someone's nonverbals be the exact opposite of what they're saying, including someone saying yes, but shaking their head no. I've seen that a few times and it really is mystifying. So pay attention to your nonverbals. Make sure that they're in sync with the message that you want to send. Thanks for listening to Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I help you try to retire smarter by paying attention to the aspects of life that'll make the difference in your retirement. You can check out all of our podcast conversations at our website, retirementwisdom.com. They're all there across six seasons and multiple topics. So great guests. It's a free retirement school.